just a word as we begin here, Jim and Melody should be back in Chile. Uh, they were to fly back for the Presbytery meeting, National Presbytery meeting, and then end of the month their uh, church anniversary. But they wanted to, I asked them how was it here, but they were a great couple. Um, and I'm mine uh, during COVID. And uh, in, let's open our Bibles, please. Psalm 139, our current book of choice. I'm going to be reading the first 12 verses. We did look at first six verses last time, but I don't want to discount those because they all fit together. Psalm 139, follow along. I'll begin with verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compass my path, my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Father, we're thankful for the joy that we have to uh, rehearse that which was your spirit's intention through the, uh, through the, through the pen of David, and for all of those who have profited over the years from uh, the beauty of this psalm, uh, may our souls rejoice that we too have such an opportunity to profit from it. Not because of anything that's eloquent from your servant, but from the Spirit's work in our lives. You know our needs, and you know the direction that you would have us to go, and to understand and to apply. So Father, may we surrender to such, even this hour, in Christ's name. Amen. At our last meeting, we looked at the first six verses of this psalm, and we were looking and understanding from David's point of view that it wasn't a psalm written for any special occasion. It wasn't because of a military victory. It wasn't because of anything that was accomplished in David's life, uh, some spiritual uh, journey with him, uh, a festival, a feast, or anything like that, but it was his expression from his heart as he saw the Lord in the relationship that he had with him. We also mentioned that uh, what David had felt and understood, as well as us, uh, the thoughts that God has of us, uh, the words that he knows before they even come out of our mouth, uh, our imaginations, our understandings, our uh, most intimate moments. And in doing so, we stand amazed that he would redeem such as us knowing us as he does, 
adopt us into his family and allow us to be participants in the grace that he has accomplished for his good. Today, we want to approach another facet of this relationship, and it begins with verse 7. Verse 7. David writes, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? I looked up a couple of other translations, and they wrote it this way. He says, Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Is there any place that I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? Same principle, but he lays it out in different ways. On the morning of September 13th, the two-week search for Danilo Cavacante came to an end. And up to that point, he had avoided, uh, evaded, hid from the police, uh, all kinds of police, from the dogs, from the, uh, the, 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 from the sky, from, from every avenue. Uh, but ultimately, he couldn't find a place to hide. He couldn't run away. He couldn't make it. There was no place to go from his fleeing. And I think us, mankind in general, has always had the perception that we could hide from wrongdoing. That we can always get away with something. Nobody's going to see it, you know. I can get away with it. I can escape this from working six hours and getting paid for eight robbing the corner store, or as in Philadelphia we like to know, busting into all types of stores in the night and robbing all types of things, you know? I can get away with it. All types of situations that come around, and ultimately the long arm of the law in one form or another usually catches up with them. But there's always somebody who comes along later on and says, ah, I know better. I can do this this way. I can get away with it. There's always something in man's mind who says, I can avoid the errors of the past, and I can commit whatever it is, and I can escape. I can get away with it. Nobody's going to see it. In our reading today, it almost sounds as if David is confessing his inability to get away with something, doesn't it? Where can I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Kind of asking the question, where do I go? Scripture gives us some great examples of this same principle. Last time we were together, we talked about Adam and Eve in the garden and their fall, the taking of the forbidden fruit, and their thought, here he comes, let's hide. And we said, you know, it's impossible. Simply can't hide from God. But there's another more complete example, and I like this one especially, I read the first verse, and I think you'll know who it is. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Who is that talking about? Jonah. You know, Jonah. And the verse goes on. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah had in him this concept that he could escape from the presence of the Lord, from his 
word. It says he went down a number of times. Uh, If he was up in the city of Jerusalem uh, or in that area, it's mountainous. And then to go down to the to Joppa, to the uh, to the to the coast and so forth, uh, you'd be going down. Um, And then he goes and he buys his ticket. And God, in essence, says, I want you to go to Nineveh, uh, the capital, not capital, the main city of, of the Assyrians, which is towards the east. And Jonah says, no, I think I'm going to as far to the west, you know, thinking that he would get away. And then it talks about him going down into the ship. He went down as far the depths, the hold of the ship as he could get. The presumption being that he could escape the presence of God. And the thing about this is that Jonah wasn't running away because he had committed a crime. He hadn't robbed anybody, didn't commit any act of immorality. His act of disobedience came from the very fact that he was, didn't want to listen to God. He was running away because he didn't want to obey what God had told him to. He ran away thinking that he could escape from such a command. Jonah despised the Assyrians, and he would love to see them wiped off the face of the earth. And his presumption was, if I don't go and give them this message of repentance, God's going to go in and going to judge them. He's going to crush them. And so I'm going to satisfy my desire by doing something that was absolutely the opposite. Jonah's heart of disobedience allowed him to think that he could hide from God. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, and do what he felt was his best. He was following the example of his first parents, <laughs> Adam and Eve. They they thought we we're going to do what we want, what is best. And in all since that time, since Adam and Eve, the mankind has felt that he could get away from the presence of God, disobey His commands, in one form or another. You know, I think we often laugh at such an idea that Jonah thought he could get away with it. That's why sometimes they'll look at the book and examine it and they'll say, this this is a a false uh, child's story or something like that. How could a man think that he could escape from the presence of God, you know, and, and run away from his responsibilities? Yet, brethren, I think when we look at ourselves, and we understand our social lives and the decisions that we make and our choices, we often replicate Jonah's decisions to a T. When we think of the, the, the lives that we make and the decisions and the directions that we go, we oftentimes find that ourselves are examples of Jonah right there. Now, it's obvious God doesn't give those audible commands. Keith, I want you to do this today. You know, <clears throat> remember that was the old uh, uh, Bill Cosby. It was a record at the time. You know, you say Noah. You know, and, and Bill Cosby would go out and look at that. You know, of course, his name is wiped off, anyways. But nonetheless, he doesn't say Keith. I don't want you to do this today. <clears throat> but what he's given within the pages of the Holy Scripture is as if he had talked. As if the word of God, thus saith the Lord. As if the pages from Genesis to Revelation are not the exact words of God spoken to my heart and to the directions that I go, that it's just as if God had audibly spoken to me. All scripture given by inspiration of God. 
Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Who is that to? The Jews. To this young man. No. It's all of us, isn't it? And as I examine that simple command, those two simple commands, loving the Lord with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind, and loving my neighbor as myself, how often have I acted like Jonah and said, no, not in this case. It's my decision. Here's Jesus again. You've heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus commanded whom? Those in the Old Testament, the disciples? No. Children of God. He says, I command you that you are to, to pray for and to bless and to do good and to love those who we would prefer to say, they're the Assyrians. They've done me wrong. Let God judge them. Wipe them off, you know. And I'm just not going to do it. I just can't. You don't know what they've said to me, what they've done to me, you know. Jesus commanded us to do such. And if we don't, are we not like Jonah? If you love me, keep my commandments. Simple words, pen of John. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Ah, there's, a, there's the, the juncture there. If he love me, you're going to obey. Ye are my friends if ye do so what, whatsoever I command you. Friends. That's not quite as we, <laughs> as we think of friends. Not the, not the enemy, you know. If I'm a... If I'm a in love with Jesus, and Jesus is loving me, and the relationship that I have is this friendship relationship, then I am to obey his words. But we, in order to justify our actions, to satisfy our own desires, to justify the things that we've accomplished or done, simply decide that we're not going to be obedient to what the Lord wants as often as I know in my mind and in my heart, this is what God's word says. To fit my situation, I'm just going to pass over it. Forget it. At times, because the word is an inconvenience to me. At times, because I look at it as just merely suggestions. It doesn't really mean a command. God is not really telling me what to do. And just like Jonah, we are slowly backing away from God's word, section by section. And brethren, it's a slippery slope. If I can excuse certain commands of scriptures because they don't fit in my daily pattern, or because I can justify my actions if I don't look at the word of God, well, then I can start to do with everything else. I can start to pass it on and let others worry about it and not me. There's a fun song that we used to sing at Bible Club. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. 
Action is the key to immediately joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. It's simple, isn't it? A child's understanding to obey what God has given shows that I believe because I'm empowered to do it, but it shows that I love him. That's the direction. If you know your Old Testament history, you remember that Jeremiah came after David. David died, and then some minor prophets and major prophets come in. They fill in the time. Jeremiah gives us a verse, and it's the truth I'm sure that David understood. Can any hide himself in the secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth? saith the Lord. <laughs> Jeremiah writing to Israel, and he said, do you think you could do something and I don't see it? And David understood that, and we understand that. And yet there are times when our actions betray that which the word says. We act as if I can get away with it. I can flee from it. I can do as I please, because I need my justification in my own sight. And so do we. But, there are a lot of times there are enormous changes in Scripture. And I think this is an interesting one right here. But, was David really trying to run away? What if we look at this passage? Where could I go from your spirit, or where could I flee from your presence? May I suggest that he's not writing this in despair, in confusion, but that he's writing this in sincere confidence that God is there, that God is with me. The joy that he has, knowing that he is always with him, no matter where he goes, no matter what's the engagement, no matter what the situation. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was seen as a man after God's own heart. Because even though David fell a number of times and some very terrible things that he did, he was able to come back to the Lord because he says, I know you're there, and I confess what I've done wrong, and I, this has been wicked of me. So, Lord, I, I, I'm sorry, and, and he knows that God is there to bring him back. I think when you look at the man, David, in his entirety, we see that he was a man of war. He faced considerable conflicts, before he was king and while he was king, there were uprisings and upheavals that were troublesome to any person. Before he was king, he was constantly on the move, defending himself from enemies, always trying to keep away from being captured. And then when he became king, there were all trials from his own children to other situations, his life still at stake. He had great victories and he suffered great losses. Yet in everything David faced, God was always there. I challenge you to read the Psalms, the Psalms of David. And you'll find that in so many of them, that principle comes out. The trials, oh Lord, help me, oh Lord, I'm surrounded by all the, you know, and, and ultimately there's a thread that goes through them all of saying, I understand that I have such a confidence in you and that you have not forsaken me. 
So David is not saying, where can I go that God is not there, that I can avoid something? But he's saying, wherever I go, my God is there. God is there, period. Now, I don't want you to be confused with this principle, wherever I go, my God is there, because there are some who would attach this to the air of pantheism. Pantheism, that God is everywhere, but God is also in this pulpit, or God is in the rugs, or God is in the trees. You know, the belief of this falseness takes away the personality of the God that we have. We believe that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere. But he is undeniably a person, the personhood of, of God. He is transcendent. And although he is here, he is far removed from the simple material things. That's why the world can go and bow to a stick or a stone or to a mountain or to the wind or whatever and, and presume this is God in these things. They've lost the character or the reality of God. Our God in Scripture is clearly set forth and testified as personal as God. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So back to our text, verse 8, David expands this picture and he says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If he, if he ascends into the highest places of heaven, and that's the glory for the believer, when we leave this earth, we are with the Lord, wherever uh, that time is and however the situation is. He says, that's, that's obvious to me. I'm in the presence of the Lord. But then he goes to the extreme opposite. If I make my bed in hell. Now, David wasn't describing the word he used here as a place of judgment, Gehenna. Uh, but he uses a word called Sheol in, in, uh, in Hebrew. And it's the sense of the grave. Meaning at the time of death. Uh, if I die, I'm there. I'm in the ground. I'm dead. And even if it was the idea of hell, God's presence is there also, but not as a principle of grace where he's forgiven. It is a principle of judgment. But God cannot be forbidden. You're forbidden to go here and you can't go here. God, God is, is everywhere. There. And he gives that comfort. Verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Boy, talk about poetically beautiful picture. Oh, it's painted out with, before us in these words. The wings of the morning. The sun rises where? In the east. And so for Israel, he says, if I look as far as I can to the distant horizons of the east, you see those radiant beams coming up. And he says, God is there. And if I continue to go in the east, keep on going and going and going, every time that sunrise, he's there. And then he goes to the uttermost parts of the sea. So it's the opposite. What was on the west of Israel? Think of your map. Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea. So for Israel, that was the uttermost parts of the sea. He says, so if I go as far as I can to the west and as far as I can to the east, he's there. There's no distance between that I can go. North, south, east, and west, there's no place that God is not present, that God is not there, that his provision is not there for me. Zophar, one of Job's friends, 
came to him and giving advice, as if you remember the book of Job, how he had presented it to him, and he was searching for Job to give him answers to his predicament. He tells Job, can you fathom, in other words, can you understand, Job, the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Remember the first cosmonaut up, and I don't know which one, I probably should have looked it up. He gets up in the thing and he looks out his little capsule and he says, I don't see any God out here. You know, I don't see any God, the God that you supposedly believe in. You know, all of the depths of the, the, the perceptions of the things that we can understand from the farthest expanse in the east and the west, from the highest of heavens to the deepest parts of whatever man can understand. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Lead me. Hold me. What a picture of joy and comfort and blessing. Not capture him and punish him. David was assured of God's presence in all situations, his hand to lead and to guide. Isn't that a joyous thought? I don't know what your week has been like or your past month, but how many times have we felt of such? We were coming down 95 there, and we were looking up ahead of us, and there's smoke, I mean considerable smoke. And we get up there, and it was a flex, flex something bus. And it was burning like nobody's business. And all the, thankfully, all of the people got out and they were all lined up on the thing and they were walking up, not too far from where the last uh, rest area is up there. You know. Can you imagine the thoughts, the panic? But even there, my hand shall lead me. Even there, you will guide me. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, he says. And David's writing, I shall not want, I'll not be in a situation where I'm lacking David's comfort finds within that. He makes me to lie down. He leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. God's hand providing all the way through David's life. He says, that's been my testimony all through life. That has been my joy and my comfort. Finally, the last two verses, verse 11 and 12, he says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. (laughs) Darkness, literally how often have we found ourselves on that road or on that path? And there's no lights, you know? And it's kind of a panicky situation. Um, There was a man, maybe it's two weeks ago now, and... um, it was within the past year, but his wife is bringing a lawsuit against, I think it's the county, or, or no, it was Google, uh, the GPS. And he says, my husband was in an unfamiliar part of town, or, or out in the country, and GPS had led him to drive over a bridge that was out, and he killed him. He has his Jeep, and he, and the, he just followed it. And it was dark, and, it was, you know, and they showed the place where it was. It was kind of in the woods. Uh, that happened. And so he's going to sue him in a, in a dark place. And we've all been in situations like that. We all think of those dark worlds that are around us. Darkness 
can also be with the figurative sense. Uh, It can also be those situations that I'm sure David felt at many times, overwhelmed with grief, failure, uh, the doctor's report, situations that come along when we feel guilty, when I'm doubting, when I'm discouraged, when loved ones have been taken away. And I listen to the diagnosis, and I see the dementia closing the windows, and I see every time it goes on and on, and there are times, and we feel them, that, what about God? What about God? Are you there? He says, surely the darkness shall... No, he didn't say that. He says, if I say... If I say, in other words, if I come to the place in life and it does happen, the darkness is going to cover me, then there are times when darkness does cover me. But he says, even then the night shall be light about me. He says, if I say, in other words, whatever comes ahead of me, whatever situations where I just don't know what's taking place, darkness comes in. But even in those situations that I don't understand, why, Lord, why? He says, in those situations, his light hand will lead him. Again, from Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wow. That valley. Talking to our, one of our dear ladies, worked in our office. She and her husband were missionaries for many, many years. And uh, her husband just went home to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago. And for two weeks, he was in bed with Parkinson's. Not up at all. She saved by his side, cared for him all those times. And she says, what I was asking, Lord, if you would just take him peacefully. And so it was. Yea, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And she says, I got up one night, about 2 o'clock, went to the bathroom. I came back. He was sleeping, but he had slept right into glory. Just like that. What a joy. In the valley of the shadow of death. And there are times that you and I can't sleep. We toss and turn. We just don't know what gun. The clock just go tick, 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 tick. You know, the struggles of those principles are ever before us. Even those, those times, the night shall be light about me. Even there, in the darkest of nights, even when the burdensome circumstances surround me, Thy hand shall lead me, and Thy right hand shall hold me. Psalm 46 is not a psalm of David, but the principles that that psalmist writes are David's thoughts. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, Trouble's not the time when all of a sudden I'm jumping for joy. God's presence doesn't always bring that. But he's saying during those trials and during the struggles, the, the, the... He is a refuge and strength, but at that time, he is a present help. Therefore, because of that principle, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, the waters roar thereof and are troubled, though the mountains shake and the swelling thereof. You ever been in an earthquake? We had one a couple years ago. We were in the office, but I was down with Jim and Melody a number of years ago, and we're sitting there, and I go, and I thought, "What is that?" And I said, "Did you guys feel some? Oh, it's an earthquake. You know, <laughs> we get them all the time. 
yeah. And and the thing is, because they are right at the at the water, the Pacific Ocean. She says there are times when the sirens will go off because it's occurred uh, the the crack crack in the in the fault lines just on the ocean, and it creates a tsunami. And he says, when that happens, he said, we only had it once. And that was the time we were concerned. We went on up to the higher parts of the mountains that were around them. You know. But it's a horrible feeling when the things that we have grown confident in, the security of life, all of a sudden becomes shaken. When the tidal waves of life pound upon us, when the earthquakes tear apart the things that, oh, I've got this, and no, I don't have this. And the psalmist says, those things take place. The heathen raged, the kingdoms moved. Wars, rumors of wars, you know. Uh, think of the kingdoms that today, even in our news. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, his presence. The God of Jacob is our refuge. David didn't write the words, but the principles that that psalm, in many other psalms, give us in the very principles of what David securely provides for us, gives us assurance that God is not on a vacation. God is not ignorant of all of that is going on. The prophet's up there on, on the mountain, and he tells the, the prophets of Baal, he says, go ahead, you know, dance around and, and, and do all this, cut yourselves and everything like that, you know, and nothing happens, the sacrifice is there. And he says, well, maybe he's on vacation, you know, maybe he's sleeping, and so the prophet gets up and he says, Lord, and then shoo, it comes down and he consumes the sacrifice and it consumes the altar and it consumes the water that had saturated that place. That's the confidence that we should have in every situation. You know, we, some of you commented on our, our city of brotherly love recently, you know, and it's troublesome to watch the news and to see people busting into stores and stealing and just just indiscriminately. And you kind of think, oh, man, we're glad I live out in the country. But that doesn't mean it's going to not take place. So what do you do? You know, you have to trust in my God. We can count on God in times of sorrow and in times of joy, in the valley and in the times of the mountains. We can count on him in all of those. And all the uneventful times in between, he is there when I lay down at night. He is there when I wake in the morning. Because he's created it all. Nothing is hid from him. Can you see how valuable we are to him? Can you see how valuable we as sinful human beings are to a sovereign God, the creator of the universe? For him to not only redeem us, but to take possession of us throughout life and and help us to guide us to to learn to lean on him in all situations of life. Whether shall I go from your spirit? Whether shall I flee from your presence? I can't. You're always there, Lord. If you choose to look at that verse and try to hide from the presence of God, Try to hide from those things that his word presents unto you. You're going to lose every time. You think, well, I can avoid those passages of scripture. I can justify it because that was just for the Jews or that was just for those people of the, those first century times or whatever. You're, you're not being honest with yourself. But if you've provided a, an assessment of your life, 
and understanding that the presence of your God and Savior is there with you no matter what comes your way. He is and will be, continued to be, a joy and a delight and a comfort to your soul. It's something you have to wake up to every single day and recognize who's there, who's in charge. You know, sometimes I get in the bad habit of, when you first get up in the morning, what do I do? I take the phone and I look and I say, so who's emailed to me? And then I'll look at the weather, and that kind of can do something. And then I'll look at the news. And the top things usually are pretty, pretty detestable events, you know. And so my day goes along, and I've, I've precipitated everything based upon the things of the world. It ought to be based upon my Lord. And I have to get into that habit more often. Not just take those things, and, and that's the way I start my day, but I have to take my Lord first and then be able to see the rest of it in him. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You believe that? Cannot be torn apart from him. Secure in him, irrespective of what you hear, what you see, what you perceive may happen or is going to happen or is taking place right now or it has, I can't be separated from the love of God if I am in Christ, if my life is secure in him. We rejoice in David's words, and I can't go any place that my God is not there. I can't flee in any place that he's not there. Our God is here with us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy that this psalm has brought and should bring to our hearts. And there's much that we don't know in the days that we live. And yet, slowly by slowly, uh, verse by verse, precept by precept, you bring your presence into our lives and fill us with tremendous joy. We ask, Father, that uh, those here today that are struggling that have concerns that are much bigger than they ever could think. They have fears and concerns. May they find their joy and peace in the ones whose love can never be taken away. We ask it in his name. Amen. Our closing-